welcome to Season 1, Episode 4 of A Viking Story. This is an accompanying podcast for a novel that I've written, which is set in the Viking Age. And this season we are looking at various elements of the Viking world that I had to consider when writing my novel. And at the moment, this is the last episode in the location series. I've looked at three locations that I use quite heavily in my novel, the first being Norway, the second being Iceland, and today's topic being Vinland. Now, this episode is largely going to be based off of my thesis that I wrote, so obviously I will give a condensed version here in this episode, but if you'd like a more detailed analysis, I obviously encourage you to check out my thesis. It was written before I was married, so I used my pre-marital name of Alan Lawrence Laycock. And you can find this thesis probably through any university's interlibrary loans system. Um, it was published under Haskoli Islands, which is the University of Iceland, and it's titled The Geography of Viking Age North America. So try to seek it out if you're interested, and if you have trouble finding it, then, as the kids say, drop me an email, and I'll try to help you out. Um, but yeah, the topic for today is Vinland, and when I talk about Vinland, I'm talking about what's often referred to as the Vinland Voyages. So the Vikings who lived in Greenland made a number of explorations to further explore the, the surrounding area, and of course they naturally happened upon North America. And they gave North America some interesting names, they discovered lots of interesting places. So one of these places was called Markland, which translates as forest land, another one was Vinland, and the prefix vin has been disputed. Uh, some scholars say it means wineland. Some say it means meadowland. I tend to fall in the camp that says it means wineland because it's clear from the information that's been passed down that the luxurious discovery that was found in Vinland were grapes used for producing wine. So it makes sense to me to call it wineland. But it is disputed, I suppose. But yeah, these were mysterious lands that were discovered by the Vikings around the year 1000 and obviously to the people at that time they would have been very well aware of these places, where they were, what you could find in these locations. So this information was transferred back to Greenland, then it was further transferred onto Iceland and further onto the rest of the Viking world. So for generations afterwards Vikings would have been very familiar with Vinland and Markland and all of these places from the Vinland voyages. In 1347, the Icelandic annals even mentioned that a ship had been sailing from Markland to Greenland and had been blown off course and ended up in Iceland. So in 1347, people in Iceland were very much aware of Markland and presumably also Vinland. So it was in the public consciousness in this point. And the Greenland settlement dies out around 1400, so at that time you would imagine also the people would have been very much aware of these locations, but in the centuries that followed, the 1500s, 1600s, uh, probably it would have fallen out of sort of the, the public consciousness, uh, because in these times really the Vikings had just extended themselves a little bit too far, so they fell back a little bit. Greenland wasn't even really sustainable as a settlement, let alone uh, the New World, so they fall back a little bit, they retreat to Iceland, Norway, the home, the traditional home countries. And it's not until 1705 that a scholar named Thormodus Torfius revives interest in the Vinland voyages when he writes his work Historia Vinlande Antique. Unfortunately, his work's not really picked up immediately, but in the 1800s, uh, other scholars start to pick up his work and interest is revived in these locations, these mysterious lands that the Vikings discovered around 
the year 1000. And in the 1800s, more people start searching for these locations. And archaeology at this time as well is, is starting to develop and refine its techniques. So yeah, there's a real push on finding this mysterious Vinland. And people start searching in North America. They, they try the eastern coast of the United States. They don't really find anything. Scholars start to look a little further north. But it's not until the 1960s when undisputable archaeological evidence is uncovered that the Norse Vikings did settle in a place today known as Lanzo Meadows in northern Newfoundland. And then from this point on, sort of the remembrance of the Vinland voyages is reborn. And this sparks a lot of interest in Vikings and their discovery of the New World. But of course, the these places were never really forgotten to the Scandinavians. They always existed. And they existed in two sagas, which together make up what's called the Vinland Sagas. And they're known as the Vinland Sagas because these two sagas in particular deal with the Vinland voyages. And one of them is called the Saga of the Greenlanders. This is preserved in a manuscript called Flateyabuk. And this manuscript dates to the 14th century. And it's basically an account of the voyages to Vinland. The other saga is Eric the Red's saga. And this is actually preserved in two manuscripts, one from Hauk's book, which is dated to the early 14th century, and the other in Skalhut's book, which is dated to the early 15th century. So both of these manuscripts, as well as Flatia's book, uh, they are written down centuries after the events that they describe. So we have to be careful with these manuscripts. They're not, you can't take them verbatim, but obviously they are based on real events as the archaeological evidence has shown. And obviously there's real information hidden within these, these sagas if you care to dig for it. And one of these bits of information, of course, talks about the sun and when it set and when it rose. And from this, people have tried to determine latitude and, and where Vinland is latitudinally. And it is an interesting topic, but it's important to note as well that Eric the Red's saga, both versions from Hauk's book and from Skalholt's book, probably both come from a common source, and it's believed that this common source is a now-lost vita of Bishop Bjorn Gilson, who at the time when they were being recorded was a candidate for sanctification in the Haller diocese, and one of Bjorn's ancestors is someone named Gudrid Thorbjornsdotter, and she is somebody who was there around the time of the Vinland voyages, and of course she's celebrated quite a lot through Eric the Red Saga. She's a prominent character in Eric the Red Saga, and it's believed then that Eric the Red Saga was meant to more celebrate Gudrid, and by extension Bishop Bjorn, and also by extension Christianity as well. So there's sort of a different mode of it. It tells the same basic story of the Saga of the Greenlanders, but there's more of an emphasis on Gudrid and on Christianity. But what's interesting then is to look at the places that are spoken about in these sagas, because the Vikings had a very oral tradition, so even though the manuscripts were written down centuries later, the information within them would have been told from generation to generation, because sagas were a form of entertainment, but they were also a form of information. So this was a way that, yeah, you could pass the long winters, but also a way for you to learn about your ancestors, also to learn valuable information, such as how to get to Vinland, where, where these places are, uh, what to look out for when you get there. It's maddening, though, that it seems a lot of information during the Viking Age was taken for granted. So the saga listeners were expected to already know quite a bit. So a lot of what's said in the sagas, as I said, it's just taken for granted. And, and now that information is 
kind of lost, which is unfortunate. But we can still glean quite a lot out of the sagas if you care to search for the information. So some of the places they talk about, for example, the first place if you're sailing from Greenland in a westerly direction, which is what the Vikings would have done. They, they preferred to island hop. So you try to keep land within sight whenever possible and minimize the time where you're actually out on the open sea. So heading west from Greenland, the first place they came to was a place they named Hetluland. And this basically means stone slab land. And it was very, it was described as very rocky, not a really great place to settle down, no good farmland. Um, I equate this with the Baffin Islands. It makes the most sense in regards to the proximity to Greenland and also the description of the land. The next place they come to is a place they call Markland, which, as I said earlier, means forest land. So it's described as having an abundance of trees and timber. And I equate this to Labrador because Labrador today, as it did a thousand years ago, had a lot of forest. And this would make the most sense also in proximity. It would be the next place you'd probably come to if you're island hopping uh, in a southwesterly direction from Greenland. And then it gets interesting. We get a name called Leafsbuther. And Buther just means booths. Uh, so these were shelters where people could live. So this is describing some sort of either permanent or temporary settlement. And actually we know it was a little bit more on the temporary side because we know the Vikings didn't last long in the New World. In fact, it's from the archaeological evidence that we've been able to uncover so far, it seems they left roughly after about a decade. So uh, they didn't spend a lot of time. But there was a place called Lisbuther, and it's described as being very close to Native Americans, who the Vikings called Skrelinger, but it's also described as not being close to the Native Americans. And equally, it's described as having wild grapes, and it's also described as not having wild grapes nearby. So this sort of schizophrenic nature of, of the name uh, leads itself, or at least it leads me to believe, that there were two Leafsbuther. So there's probably at some point the two conflated and became one, but it seems clear enough to me that we're talking about two different places here. So there's there's one place near natives and where grapevines grow, and then there's another place not near natives and where grapevines don't grow. The site at Lanzo Meadows is in a location where in the year 1000 there were not any natives. Uh, it seems from most of the research that we can acquire up to this point that in, in around the year 1000, there were a lot of natives living sort of on the southern coast of the Gulf of St. Lawrence and along the St. Lawrence River itself. But as you go to the north, even in the, in the sagas themselves, they describe only sparse human activity. And as a part of my thesis research, I also studied the voyages of Jacques Cartier, who sailed to the same areas for the same reasons, only a few hundred years after the Vikings. And his ships actually weren't very different from the Viking ships in terms of the distance that they could cover, the speed that they could go, and the the stops that he would need to make in order to refuel with supplies. And Jacques Cartier also notes the same things a few hundred years later, that there's a lot of natives along the southern coast of, of the Gulf of St. Lawrence and not so much in the north. So it seems around the year 1000, the natives were starting to expand uh, the rest of the continent, but they hadn't quite reached the, the far northeast corners yet. They were just starting to arrive in those locations. And of course, yeah, we get the Dorset Indians up in the, the Arctic as well that eventually migrate over to Greenland. But at the time of the Norse settlement in Greenland, it's believed that there, there were no natives uh, at that time. And, and same with Lanzo Meadows. And that makes sense because when you 
start a new settlement, you don't really want to be on the doorstep of a potential enemy or some way that you just don't know. So you'd want to be a little bit uh, separated. So for me, it makes sense that the site at Lanzo Meadows is one of the least to do there. And based on the fact that they have found large rooms there, they've found large storage rooms, they found a, a barrel lid as well. So it seems like this was a gateway site, like an outpost that the Vikings would have used to make further inland exploration voyages and bring things further north. Actually, they found a lot of items like butternuts and, and these sort of things that were clearly brought from the south because they didn't grow in the area of Lanzo Meadows at that time. So it shows that the Vikings were actually going further south, going to other places and bringing things back with them to take further on towards Greenland. So for me, the site at Lanzo Meadows is possibly one of the Leafs Buther. It's definitely a site that's too large to ignore. I don't think the Vikings would have not mentioned it in the sagas because it's it's a it's a huge place. It had three large halls. One of them was as large as any hall you would have found in Iceland at the time. And to create something like that in the New World with limited resources, because you've got to remember that the Vikings, as I said before, were spreading themselves thin. So migrating from Norway to Iceland was one thing, but then from Iceland to Greenland was quite another. And then taking the the resources from Iceland in terms of manpower and, and, and ships and so on, it would strain things even more. So to be able to build a, a hall that paralleled anything in, in Iceland is, is quite amazing. There were actually two large halls. and One of these halls had wainscoting, and uh, it looked magnificent, and a, a very large hearth with, uh, yeah, opulent opulent rooms for, for hosting and feasting. So clearly this was a site that would have been mentioned in, in, this, in the Vinland sagas, and that's why I equate it with Lisbuther. But there must be another one that was located in an area where there were natives present and where there were wild grapes growing. And if you look at the time period, as I mentioned, there were natives all along the southern coast of the Gulf of St. Lawrence and along the St. Lawrence River itself. So I think you've got to look more in the direction of the Northumberland Strait, so near Prince Edward Island, up to the Gaspé Peninsula, maybe even into the St. Lawrence River itself. But this general area here is probably Vinland, and probably where Leif set up some other buther, some other uh, temporary dwellings. And this would satisfy all accounts then. We'd have one Leif buther with natives and wild grapes, and the other one without. Another interesting place in the Vinland sagas is a place called Hop. And interestingly, this is described as being south of Leif's buther. And there is a character in the sagas called Karstefni, and he travels around a headland which I believe was Cape Breton Island. And he travels for a very long time around a coast, which I believe is Nova Scotia. And eventually he comes to a river that flowed into a lake that entered into the sea. So for me, the best estimate is that this is probably the Bay of Fundy, and that Hope is more specifically located in Cobequid Bay. So, yeah, Carl Stephanie, it's said that he travels around another headland in the south, so this could be the southern portion of Nova Scotia. And what's interesting is that he makes another journey from Hope, uh, and he, he goes back, he sort of retraces his steps, he goes back around the headland, so I'm thinking back around Nova Scotia. He keeps land to his port side, and eventually he spots a mountain, and he recognizes that this is the same mountain that he saw from Hope, but from a different angle. So 
if you're thinking of Copequid Bay and you're thinking about going around Nova Scotia and then seeing a mountain again that you might have seen from the other angle before, the mountain that makes most sense to me would be Nutby Mountain. And this would then place Hope somewhere south of Nutby Mountain, probably in the vicinity of Copequid Bay. So this is probably where I would look for Hope, but a lot of people debate this, obviously. Uh, some people place Hope in New England, further south. It's hard to say. I mean, the, the key feature is the phrase, a long time. So Carl Stephanie sailed for a long time. How long is a long time? It's highly debatable, but I would say that as you go further south, south of the Bay of Fundy, the resources don't change significantly that it would necessitate going further south. So I think the Bay of Fundy is probably a good place to to locate Hope. It's likely that the Vikings did travel a little bit further south, and people always ask me, I mean, recently there was a site potentially found, again, in, in Newfoundland that was potentially another Viking site, and people ask me, oh, are you surprised about this? Because everyone thought it was Lanzo Meadows, but now maybe there's this other place. No, I'm not surprised. Uh, I know, we know for a fact that the Vikings traveled great distances. They traveled all the way to the Middle East. They traveled all the way into the Mediterranean. They traveled all the way to Lanzo Meadows. I don't doubt that they traveled a little bit further because you wouldn't stop at Lanzo Meadows. And uh, we've seen with the, the butternut and everything that they, they definitely did go further south. And to see wild grapes as well. So the, the northernmost limit of wild grapes is really sort of the that Prince Edward Island that sort of North Northumberland Strait area and the south portion of the Gulf of St. Lawrence. So you're definitely looking in that region if you're looking for wild grapes. What's interesting about Hope is that there, there were wild grapes there as well, as well as natives, but there's no salmon mentioned at Hope. So the southern limit for salmon is roughly around the Gulf of St. Lawrence. So if you were to go to the Bay of Fundy, there would have been no salmon in, in the year 1000, but there would have been wild grapes and there would have been natives. So for me, these are clues that this is a good location, but as I said, it's it's definitely up for debate. Uh, but yeah, if, you, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about some of these Vinland voyages and about these locations, I definitely encourage you to check out my thesis. And I think this is where I'm gonna conclude episode four. But next episode, I'm going to look at religion in the Viking Age, so that should be a lot of fun. And if you're a fan, if you're an agent, if you're a publisher, then please do get in touch. You can reach me at vikingstoryfaq at outlook.com. That's vikingstoryfaq. Again, I'd love to hear from you. And just want to thank you once again for listening. And cue Thor's thunder. <laughs>